Say, I can't wait to hear the story of how we weren't going to sing it, but it just happened. I, I just didn't know if it was some kind of miraculous event or... Uh, <laughs> we come to the creed again tonight. We come to a point in the Apostles' Creed where there is a change in direction in that creed. You uh, see it on the screen up here in front of you, uh, the creed as a whole. For the last several weeks, we've talked about what belief is. We've talked about what it means to believe. We've talked about the importance of creeds and confessions. And then we looked at the point, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Uh, and we talked about what that meant for him to be the Father, that that is unique to Christianity. No other religions talk about God being Father. God is always creator in some senses. God is always uh, one that's above in some ways, but he's always separated from. He's always distant. But in Christianity and in the, the doctrines of our faith, he has drawn near, and he has allowed us to call him Father. Indeed, Abba Father, very intimately, very lovingly. So he is our Father. Uh, Jesus told us to address him that way in the Lord's Prayer. Say, our Father who is in heaven, then we looked at what it meant to be almighty, that we talked about the almightiness of God. That includes his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and all that wrapped up in all that he is. And there it goes again. thing changes. That screen hates me uh, on this particular slide. Then we talked about the maker of heaven and earth, and we spent two weeks looking at that and talking about he is the creator. He has created all that there is. And apart from him creating, there would not have been anything that, was, that is. It wasn't just something that happened. It's something that he did. He spoke into existence. He created out of his desire to create, out of his creative nature. He didn't have to. He didn't have to create us. He didn't need us. He created us out of his grace and out of his mercy. So we talked about him being the maker of heaven and earth. Now in this phrase tonight, the creed takes a bit of a turn. It takes a turn because it turns to talking about Jesus Christ. And if you look at most of what's left in this creed, it centers on Christ himself. It centers on Jesus and who he is and what he's done and his character as well as his work. But the one phrase we're going to look at tonight is that phrase, after maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Now, all of those other things flow together in it are important to understand in our understanding of who Jesus is, and we'll take that up in, in weeks to come. But tonight, I want us to look at three particular things that are wrapped up in that phrase, that I believe in God and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. No idea what's happening there? All right. Just a little popping, a little uh, noise. That won't, that won't bother us too much. In Jesus Christ, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Now, there are several things that are seen there. And one thing you need to understand from the very beginning is that the, the, the writers of the Apostles' Creed are at this point getting us to focus on the second person of the Trinity and upon the divinity or the deity of Jesus Christ. They want us to understand that there is a uniqueness in him that is far beyond anything we would have come up with of our own thinking. He is human, 100%. And he is God, 100%. He is the God-man who came, God taking on flesh and dwelling among us that we might understand more who God is and what God is like. He is Jesus Christ, his, that is God's only son, 
our Lord. The, the Nicene Creed takes it a little further, it's a little more specific, and then it says, and we believe in him who is the only begotten son of the heavenly father. In scripture, the word begotten is used there, and, and, and they make the clear, it clear in the Nicene Creed that he is begotten, not created. Uh, we sometimes don't understand the reality that Jesus is the son of God, a part of the Godhead, but he is not a created being. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's important to, to get a grasp of that Jesus Christ is the eternal, holy, living uh, Son of God. Now, I want you to see three words here primarily. Really, there's, there's more than that, but tonight I want us to focus on three words, and then we'll come back to this as we unveil the rest of it and unfold the rest of it. I want you to look at the terms Jesus Christ Lord. Because in reality, the, the creed here is drawing from the earliest of the Christian creeds. The earliest of the Christian creeds said, Jesus Christus ho kurios. Jesus Christ is Lord. That was early on in the church when they would begin to say that. They said that in opposition to what the government wanted them to say, and that is Kaiser ho kurios. Caesar is Lord. And they refused to make that confession. Uh, they, were, they were accused of being atheist because they would not name Caesar as Lord. They were accused of being uh, uh, some kind of anarchist within the government, within the country, because they would not acknowledge that Caesar was Lord. But rather they said, no, in all cases, at all times, we must proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I want you to understand that many people throughout church history have paid a far dearer price for saying that than you and I have to. Remember, we don't have to pay a price for it. It's fairly simple to say. It's fairly acceptable to say. But there are men and women who have literally gone to their death throughout history because of making that statement. The, the church is littered with martyrs. The history of the church is littered with martyrs who shed their blood, who had their blood shed for them because they refused to compromise on that statement. Jesus Christ is Lord. The government is not Lord. The, the, the culture is not Lord. No one else can claim that title other than Jesus Christ to those who are his disciples. Now, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture tonight as we look at these three words because I think it will help us to get a little handle on it. It's found in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at several passages probably before the evening's over, but this is the one I want us to kind of focus on. Beginning in verse 15. Paul is talking about Jesus, talking about Christ. And here in this statement, this is what he says. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, don't get caught up on that term, firstborn. Some say, ah, oh, see, he wasn't there all the time. He was born later on. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is merely expressing his uniqueness there. He was the firstborn of all creation. There was nothing before him. Everything that there is came after him. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Or as I think King James says there, that he might come to have preeminence in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And the word minister there is diakonos. It's the idea of a deacon, one who serves the people on behalf of the, of the Lord and on behalf of the gospel. We'll stop there at verse 23. Paul is merely making a statement here that this one Jesus is the one who is the Lord of all things. You know, it's amazing that in our day, and some people, even in our churches, still make this mistake. They, they talk about Jesus Christ. And many times they talk about Jesus Christ as though that's his first name and his last name. That's not his first name, his last name. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Jesus is his name. Christ establishes his office and tells us who he is and what he is in, in historical significance. If Jesus were walking in Nazareth uh, and were talking to the people and they would look at him, they would not have said, there's Jesus Christ, uh, although as though that were his last name. They might would have said, there is Jesus Bar-Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph, or there is Jesus of Nazareth, indicating the name of the town from which he came. They would use something like that to designate, but they didn't have last names like we do. The name Christ is a name that means literally Messiah. The Hebrew word is Messiah. The Greek word is Christ. Same word, interchangeable. And so when we talk about Jesus Christ, we are really making a confession of faith right there. That in itself is a confession. I find that kind of interesting. When I'm watching television or I hear even on newscasts sometimes, someone will come out with sort of an exp expression of of, of, of disdain or a expression of surprise and they'll use those two words Jesus Christ as a swear term or something almost as a as a way of expressing something I often wonder I wonder if they realize what they're really doing in all of this is they're making a confession of faith it may not be one they really believe but they're making a confession of faith when they say those words Jesus more properly we might say that this could be defined Jesus is the Christ Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who has come from God to save his people from their sins. Now the name Jesus, which is his proper name, his given name, also carries with it some meaning. Messiah is Christ. Jesus is from the, the Hebrew word Yesu, which is the, the Hebrew term jo, uh, excuse me, Joshua, which literally means God will save. And, and so it, it's saying, he, and it tells us in, in the early days when he was after his birth, when he was named, it says he was given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His very name carries with it 
a hint of his ministry, a hint of his purpose, a hint of his coming. But yet in that name attached with the name Christ, then we have an understanding of who he is and what he is and what he's come to do. He's come to save his people. He's come to be Messiah to establish the kingdom of God on earth. But it goes a step further in the creed. It, it makes this distinction that Jesus Christ is his only son, his only begotten son, the only one that came from the Father. But then it uses the term, our Lord. I, I find it interesting that he didn't say, the Lord, because he is the Lord. There is no other Lord apart from him. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is the Lord. But in the confession, or in the creed, those who constructed it thousands of years ago made the statement that he is the Christ, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Because there's an expression there, not only of him being the Lord, but there's an expression there of our personal faith, our personal belief in who he is. Now, I want you to understand something real quickly here. We live in a day in which you may hear a lot of talk about you need to make Christ Lord. You ever heard anybody say that? You know, you need to make Christ Lord in your life. You need to make him Lord. I want to I clear that up tonight as much as I can. There is no way you can make Christ Lord. He is Lord. Given, stated, uh, established. Uh, and, and whether you acknowledge it or not has no bearing whatsoever on his lordship. Whether you acknowledge that he is Lord or not does not change one iota who he is. Does not have one bit of effect on him. It will affect your ultimate destiny. It will affect your ultimate being. But it has nothing to do with, with what he is or who he is or where he reigns. You understand that? That's important to understand. Because you can't make him Lord. You can acknowledge him as Lord. You can, you can have an expression in your life that he is our Lord, my Lord. We've I've trusted him as such, but there is no making him Lord. I don't know if you remember, but a few years back, it's probably still raging a little bit, but there was, a, there was a real controversy in the Christian church over what was dubbed lordship salvation. And the whole controversy was, is it possible to have Jesus as Savior and yet not have him as Lord? Is it possible to have Jesus as Savior of your life and all the benefits that go therein, heaven and, and blessings and all of that, and yet never acknowledge him as Lord and never have him as Lord of your life? And there was a battle that raged for many years. John MacArthur was on one side. Uh, he said there, there is no separation. He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord of all. And if he's Savior, he must be Lord. And there was another side led by some of the Dallas theological professors uh, who said, no, no, you can have Jesus for all your life as Savior and never have him as Lord. Well, that is making a distinction within Scripture that is, uh, or a distinction within our lives that's never made within Scripture. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And to confess him as anything other than Lord is to confess him as something that he is not, or at least de deficient in what he is. So yes, when we come to Christ, we come to acknowledge him as Lord. Jesus himself, in his earthly ministry, he looked around at the people who were following him, you know, and they were, they were following after him. He would fed the 5,000. He had healed the blind men. He had done all these tremendous miracles. And people were saying, Lord, Lord, Lord. They were using the term. 
he said, he looked at him, he turned around, he said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I command you? Thus indicating there was a real disconnect there. Uh, to call someone Lord and not obey, there, there's, a, there's an obedience factor that comes in being Lord. Now, understand that Christianity and the Christianity that the creed presents here is not a, is not a bunch of rules and regulations. You, you don't determine whether Jesus is Lord by how many, how many do's and don'ts you have and how many do's and don'ts you follow. As a matter of fact, if your Christianity is based on legalistic standards of do's and don'ts, if your Christianity is, well, I, I believe I'm a Christian because I do this, this, and this, I would say to you today, you don't have a Christianity. You have a religion, but not a Christianity. When I say obedience to the Lord, I'm not talking about some kind of legalistic obedience. I'm talking about a gratitude. I'm talking out of obedience that flows out of a grateful heart. An obedience that grows out of, out of knowing him in your life, in a relationship, being in Christ and him being in you and you having this relationship whereby the obedience comes from an internal motivation of the Holy Spirit at work. What we've talked about in the New Covenant, I'll write my laws upon your heart, I'll write my laws upon your mind. There is an eternal, uh, excuse me, an internal motivation because the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God is alive and dwelling within us. Lordship is a part of Christianity just as much as Jesus Christ is. Lordship is a part of you being saved as much as the concept of Savior is. Now, I realize we don't all follow him as Lord. We don't all acknowledge his Lordship in every area as we should. But there ought to be a growing, there ought to be a maturing development in that area of Lordship. We ought to see him literally captivating different areas of our life every day. We ought, to see, we ought to see in our lives areas that we have held or tried to hold back being just stormed by the power of Christ and captivating us in those areas. And, and this is what he's saying here in Colossians chapter 1. He said he is the head. He is the head of creation and he is the head of the church. And if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church. And by his salvation and by his lordship, he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through his death in order to present you to him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. When we say that I believe in God and in, his, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, we are making a confession that Jesus Christ is actively at work actively moving, actively affecting our life on a day-by-day -day basis. You know, we have, a, we have an interesting little, uh, as Baptists, we have an interesting, what I think is an interesting, if you look at it historically and, and biblically, uh, an interesting ritual. You didn't know we Baptists had rituals, did you? We do. And it's, it's what we do at the end of the service. It's called the invitation. Now, I believe in calling people to Christ, inviting people to Christ, but I've always been interesting with how we call that an invitation. I've always thought it ought to be called a declaration. Uh, and that may not be registering with you, so look back with me just a moment at Acts chapter 17. You remember we've looked at that on several occasions about Paul going to Mars Hill, the, 
uh, un unknown God and, and all the other idols and gods that are around there. But I, I find it interesting what Paul says, or what, excuse me, what Luke says in talking about Paul's uh, ministry there. Paul is being quoted here by Luke as he records it. But look at what he says in verse 30 and 31. He says, therefore, talking about God, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring, and that word declaring comes from the same root as commanding. God is now, that's Acts 17, verse 30. God is now declaring or commanding men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, that is Jesus, whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now later in this creed we'll talk about his resurrection but it's hard not to talk about it at every step of the way because Christ is Christianity and the resurrection is the linchpin on which Christianity rests. You know, we talked about that at Easter a little bit as we looked at the evidences for it. But, but the thing we have to understand is that if you take away the resurrection, you take away all of Christianity. Take away the resurrection, you take away Christ. Take away the resurrection, you have destroyed the whole foundation of Christianity. But look in verse 30 what he says. I love this. He says, Therefore, having overlooked in the times of ignorance, we talked about the sins of ignorance this morning uh, when we talked about out of Hebrews that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament sacrifices covered the sins of ignorance but not the willful sins. But here Paul is saying that God in Former times, there were times of ignorance, there were times when men didn't understand the fullness of the gospel, they didn't understand the fullness of Messiah, they, they were looking forward to Messiah, but they didn't really understand it completely, and those were times of ignorance, but now, having overlooked those times, and, and kind of said, okay, here's where we are now, he is now declaring or commanding to all men that all everywhere should repent. That's a Lord speaking. It's not, a, it's not someone who is helpless or someone who is, out of, who is without authority or someone who is, is kind of in need of our cooperation or our help. No, this is a Lord speaking. He said, God's overlooked in times of ignorance. Christ is overlooked in times of ignorance. But now God is declaring that all men everywhere repent. That's why I say I think the end maybe we ought to have a command rather than an invitation. We ought to command men and women to repent. That's what God says do. God doesn't, you know, we get the idea and we give the picture sometime of sort of what I would call a mamby-pamby God, you know, who's, who's just kind of beating around the bush and who's saying, oh, if you would, if, if you don't mind, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, then do that. He commands with all authority in heaven and earth that you repent of your sin and you turn. And he says that to all men everywhere. We can go out with full assurance that we can call men and women through the gospel of Jesus Christ to repentance no matter where they are, no matter who they are, no matter how bad they are, or no, no matter how, quote, good they are. They have a need to repent. They have a need to come to Christ. And apart from that, there is no salvation. Now, 
I realize, again, in our day, when you make that kind of statement that Jesus Christ is the only way, apart from him there is no salvation, apart from him there is no relationship with God, that's viewed as a very narrow, very bigoted, very you know, short-sighted sort of statement. But I'm telling you, that's a statement of Scripture. It's not what Bill Haynes says. It's not what the Baptist church says. It's not what the Protestant church says. It's not what the Catholic church says. It's not what a church says. It's what Jesus Christ himself has said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, only through me. He said later in one of his parables, he said, I am the door to the sheepfold. And if you want to get in the sheepfold, if you want to be a part of the sheepfold, you don't get in by climbing the fence. You don't get in by pole vaulting over the fence. You don't get in by digging a hole in the fence. You get in through the door, and you only get in through the door. That's the kind of Lord he is. He's a Lord who rules and reigns over all of his creation. And then look with me for just a moment at, at Romans chapter 1. You knew I'd have to go to Romans on this for just a minute. I was tempted to do an exegesis of five chapters tonight, but I fought that temptation. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Again, we have the gospel here that I want you to see. And I want you to see the way Paul arranges the words here. Paul, a slave, or a, doulos is the Greek word there. It's a literal word. It's a slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, the normal way we say it is Jesus Christ, isn't it? But he says here, Paul, a slave of Messiah, Jesus. The one who's Messiah, whose name is Jesus. I've been called as apostle. I'm set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised, God promised, beforehand through all his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. That is, he's a human being. Who was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, the creed there just takes the exact wording that the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 1. Jesus Christ our Lord. God's Son and declared to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection. Wasn't made the Son of God through the resurrection, but it was declared, it was proclaimed through that resurrection. Then verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, and look at this, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. The purpose of the gospel the purpose of his lordship is not just to be like monarchs in our day to just kind of ride in parades and wave at the people. You know, the, the Queen Elizabeth wave. You know, it's, it's not to just be exalted to be looked at. But his purpose and his lordship is to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. That is, the obedience of faith among all peoples all across the earth, not just Jews, but Gentiles also, that they would come to the obedience of faith. What does it mean to have obedience of faith? Well, we, we sing a hymn sometimes that really speaks to that. 
And the hymn's title is Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey. They go hand in hand. If you believe in Christ and you trust in Christ, then you obey Christ. It is a natural part of his lordship. And, and the desire of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, is it be declared among all the peoples everywhere so that men out of every tongue and tribe and language and nation would come to faith in Christ. Because that's, that's what the ultimate, that's what the universal church is made up of. It's made up of men from every tribe and language and tongue, according to John in the Revelation. Finally, for his namesake, for his glory, that he might be exalted. That's its goal. And so when we talk about, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, we're making a declaration that is universal. We're making a declaration that should affect our life and should affect our ministry and should affect the life of our church. That's why we go to Peru. That's why we go to eastern Kentucky. That's why we go to Hope Way and, and, and Colonial Heights once a week. We go there not to be good. We go there to declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. We go there to declare that our God reigns. And his calling, indeed, is commanding, is declaring that all men and women everywhere should come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So that little phrase there, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, speaks of his divinity, his deity, it speaks of his humanity. It speaks of his glory. It speaks of his authority. It speaks of his sacrifice and atonement. It speaks of everything about him in those three terms. Jesus, Christ, Lord. It's who he is, and he is no other. Let's pray. Father, as we walk through the creed, help us walk, Lord, in obedience. Help us walk, Lord, drawing nearer and nearer to you every day that your glory might be seen in Somerset, Kentucky and beyond. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.